So now we're holding by class number four, which is called relevance. And relevance means all of this that we learned about before, and we're discussing about Mashiach, what does this have to do with me? Why should I care? Why do I have to care? Why is it so important and, and it is so essential for us to believe and to await Mashiach's coming all the time? And that's what we're going to discuss tonight. Okay, just to give you a little front time frame, uh, we're going to go to 10.15. Okay, so clearly the class is supposed to be an hour and a half. We're starting a little late, so we're going to do an hour and 25 minutes. Okay, so I don't want to get any angry faces here. I want to use stopping. Okay, fine. But I am going to stop at 10.15. Okay, ready to go. Um, so... In the earlier classes, we had laid the foundation of various different opinions, the various different um, views about what Mashiach is all about. We spoke three general ideas. Mashiach is a time of unbelievable enlightenment, enlightenment for all of humanity, especially in tremendous enlightenment for the Jewish people, enlightenment for all of the world in which people will come to know God. And according to Rambam, that is the preparatory state for the ultimate enlightenment that happens when after Mashiach comes, and the time when souls go up to heaven, according to Rambam, we spoke earlier that the uh, accepted view, according to Jewish mysticism, is that that is not the case. We will not go into a spiritual afterlife, but we will forever remain down here in the body. But everybody agrees that the Messianic age is a time of great spiritual enlightenment, and that enlightenment will come through a person, Mashiach, who is going to be the one who is going to enlighten everybody because he's going to be the greatest teacher. That was one outlook on Mashiach. Then we also gave another perspective on Mashiach, that Mashiach's coming is the restoration of and the bringing about and the realization of Hashem's kingship in the world. And, that, that, and that's what Rambam discusses in the Laws of Kings. Where Rambam tells us that Mashiach is coming to restore the Davidic kingdom and to bring back the Holy Temple and restore the divine service and the restoration of all the mitzvot. And, and during the time of exile, our mitzvah observance is severely compromised. Our mitzvah observance is very limited. There are many mitzvahs that we can't do because we're lacking a holy temple and we're lacking all the Jewish people living in the land of Israel. Mashiach will come, all that's going to be restored, and therefore uh, we're going to have a complete implementation of Hashem being the king over the world through him being the king over Israel, over the Jewish people, via the Jewish people, God will be king over the entire world and we express and actualize and exercise our obedience, our subservience, our servitude to God through the observance of the mitzvahs, which is really all about to give forth that God is a king over the world. And that is going to be realized when Mashiach comes. We also brought a more spiritual idea, idea of the Ramban, and that when Mashiach comes, we're going to go back to life as it was before the Eitz Adas, before the Tree of Knowledge. And uh, life before the Tree of Knowledge was a time when there was two few things. There was no death. There was no evil inclination. Those are the main two things. No evil inclination. And as a result of no evil inclination, there's no reason for there to be death. Mankind is totally pure and totally unified 
and connected to, their, to his or her creator, which is God. And being that God is eternal, his projects are eternal, his desire for, to have a relationship with a human being is eternal. It's only when man messed up and introduced evil into his being then that evil has to be, has to come to an end, that man has to die. So when Mashiach comes and Hashem is going to circumcise our hearts, which means, as Nachmanides says, he's going to remove Yetzahara, so we're going to go back to, the, to Adam before the sin, and being that we have already worked our issues through as a result of the mistake that we made, and we figured out that that mistake doesn't make, that it's not worth it, so we're going to come back, and now it's not going to be possible for us ever again, ever to sin, that means we're going to live for all of eternity. And that's even going to affect the animals in that there won't be any more animosity or any, you can't say by animals, animosity, but the predatory nature, which is a streak of evil that has gone into the animals, will be removed from them, and all the animals as well will live happily ever after. I don't know if they will live eternally, but the idea of animals killing animals won't exist. And humans, definitely, there won't be any war and none of that. We will live on for all of eternity forever. We introduced a Hasidic concept in the idea of the vision, and that is that the ultimate, ultimate goal of Mashiach is more than the revelation of God's kingship, but rather the revelation of God Himself. That Hashem Himself is revealed completely in this world. Mashiach, the idea of Mashiach is God wanted to have a home in this world. A home is a place where you live unobscured. A home is a place where you are present, fully and complete, without any inhibitions, without any restraints. God wanted this world to be filled with His presence and with His light, and that is going to be at the time of the coming of Mashiach. And that's the deepest and highest element of Mashiach. This is mainly what we discussed three classes ago and two classes ago. Now, and, we, and last class we discussed how all of this is realized through a human king. When, and primarily the idea of kingship requires a human king and that is Mashiach. Mashiach is not just an era of wonderful things happening in the world, but Mashiach is a person who makes this all happen, and he is God's representative in kingship. God is king over the world through the kingship of this human being, which is what we discussed, the general idea of a Jewish king. A Jewish king is to make God's abstract kingdom tangible and real and concrete. And without that, we don't have any tangibility to that kingship. And we kind of listen or not listen our, our, our inclination to do, to be rebellious and not to ob be obedient to Hashem and to His Torah and to His mitzvahs is much stronger when we don't have a king. When we have a king, then God becomes very real in our lives. And the ultimate king that's going to capture God's kingship is it's the, it's the family of David, David HaMelech, and his children, and ultimately Mashiach, who is going to fully manifest that kingship in the world. That's what we learned up till now. Now, let's address the idea of what's our relationship with Mashiach before Mashiach comes. This is all great. Mashiach is coming, wonderful, it's going to happen, whatever it's supposed to be. Today's days, Mashiach isn't here yet, at least in the most concrete uh, way, fully realized in the world. And for the last 3,000 years, what was and what is required of the Jewish people in regards to Mashiach? How are we supposed to view him? What's... 
So we know Ramam tells us that this is absolute must, that every single person must believe in the coming of Mashiach. It's one of the 13 principles of faith. The 12th one is I believe in perfect faith and absolute faith in the coming of Mashiach. And even if you might take a long time, uh, uh, even if it's taking a long time, and I still believe in Achakalo, and not only do I believe, but I await for him. Rambam in the laws of kings tells us that whoever does not believe in Moshiach, or even if a person believes in Moshiach, it's coming, but doesn't await. He's not mitzapeh. He's not waiting. He's not longing. He's not looking out for Mashiach's coming. That person is considered a kofir. He's a denier. And he's a denier in what? Not only is he denying the prophets, because the, the Torah, the prophets are filled with prophecies regarding to the coming of Mashiach, but this person is a denier in Moshe and in the Torah. In the Torah itself in, and in Moshe, and Rambam gives us proofs from where we see, one of them is from this week's Torah portion, that uh, Mashiach's coming and Mashiach's arrival and the world of Mashiach is actually stated in, in the Chumash itself and the five books of Moshe itself. Okay, so it's a, obviously a very, very important fundamental principle. Rambam also says, show you over here, in, um, in Hilchus Tshuva, Rambam also lists those that are considered non-believers, heretics. What's considered a heretic in Jewish, in, in Jewish faith? Rambam lists people who deny the resurrection of the dead, don't believe in Trias HaMesin, and do not believe or don't believe in Bebias HaGoel, in the coming of the redeemed. So it's an absolute foundation, fundamental principle. We must believe in Moshiach. So the, and here the great Jewish philosophers and thinkers had a hard time understanding the Rambam. Why the Rambam put the coming of Moshiach as such a fundamental principle. And that Judaism, if you, if, if, and if you don't believe in Moshiach, you're lacking something essential, an essential component in your Judaism to the point that you cannot be considered a full believer in the Jewish faith. <coughs> so the, 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 the great scholars from way back then had took issue with the Rambam, had a very hard time understanding Rambam. Primarily you have Sefer Ikrim, and the Ikrim, a great, from the early great philosophers, he has a hard time with Rambam, and he actually argues with the Rambam. He says that belief in Mashiach is not an Ikr, not that Chas V'Sholomi argues with Rambam that Moshiach is not coming, God forbid. Of course we believe in the coming of Moshiach. It's, it's all like the Rambam says, it says all over. But he takes, he, 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 he argues, he's arguing with Maimonides, with Rambam, because he doesn't see that the coming of Moshiach should be an Ikr, it should be a foundation, which means that without that you don't have Judaism. The Abar Benel, his Sefer Rosh Amuna is one of the, uh, Abar Benel was a great rabbi from Spain who actually was one that was, um, had to leave Spain during the uh, expulsion of Spain. So the Abar Benel wrote, writes a book on Mashiach called Rosh Amuna. No, he writes a book on Mashiach called Yeshua's Mashiach, but in the Sefer Rosh Amuna where he deals with Amuna, 
he tries to explain Rambam, and he says, like, what's the basis to say that belief in Mashiach is a foundation in our faith? So he says, because believing in Mashiach, Mashiach is one of the important rewards that is awaiting that God is going to reward the Jewish people for all the good that we've done, all the mitzvahs that we've done. So for that, end of days, we're going to have Mashiach, and that's our reward. And, and therefore, he says, since reward and, and punishment is a fundamental, essential foundation in Jewish faith, you can't have Judaism without a belief of reward and punishment. That's the basis. The, 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 God created the world. God communicated to the Jewish people his desire and his want of how he wants us to live. So we believe in Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy. We believe in prophecy in general. We believe in the truth of the Torah, that Torah is min ashamayim. But part of that is being that human nature is that why should people listen? Especially when there's a lot of interference in our comforts of a person's life. So how why should a person listen? So there has to be reward and punishment. True, everybody agrees that the highest way of serving God is someone who does it completely altruistically without any thought of personal gain. I'm serving God because it's true. But there are very, very, very few people who will manage that. And if you would take away reward and punishment, then Judaism would be just for a selected small little, little, little club of tzaddikim. But it would not be something that could be able to be practiced by the masses. In order for it to be able to be something practiced by the masses, there has to be the fear of me being punished if I make the wrong choices and the excitement, anticipation of reward for... Now, one of the essential rewards are that life on earth one day is going to turn into a Gan Eden. It's going to turn into a Garden of Eden, and that's going to be when Mashiach comes. And that's why Abarbanel says, that's where Rambam says that this is an Iker in Amunah, because Schar and Oynesh, which means reward and punishment, is a foundation of Amunah. That's the statement of Abarbanel comes the Ikrim, the Ikrim brings the Abarbanel, and he says, but he didn't really answer me anything. Then reward and punishment is a, is a foundation in, 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 in Judaism. This happens to be one of the rewards. There are many other rewards. This is one of the rewards. You can't turn this into a foundation of Amunah, that this itself is a foundation of Jewish faith. This can't. By its very, by, 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 it, by what it is? Okay, it's part of reward and punishment. Fine. So reward and punishment. So then, it, then, then, it's, then, then this goes into the Ikr. There is, an, there is one of the th- principles of reward which the Ikrim agrees upon. That re- belief in reward and punishment is fundamental to, a, to, Jewish, to Jewish belief. And that the world is not a jungle. And people are going to be held accountable for the choices that they made. Included in that is one of the rewards is the coming of Mashiach. But to go ahead and make this itself independently a, 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 um, a, uh, a foundation to say that without this you don't have Judaism, the, the Ikram says, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't see any reason for it. Now the comes others... The, um, no, the Abarbanel, then, then the Abarbanel wants to give another suggestion. And the Abarbanel says, another, another, another answer rather. 
Another reason why believing in Mashiach is so essential to Judaism, he says, because the coming of Mashiach is openly stated across all of Scripture. It's written in Torah, which are the five books of Moshe. It's written in Nevi'im, in the prophets. And it's written in Ksuvim, in the writings, full of Tehillim, and in many places. So many, so much talk about the coming of Mashiach. And therefore, Abar Benel says, that if someone doesn't believe in Mashiach, they're denying all of Torah. So again, his first explanation is, because, if you, because believe, the, 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 the coming of Mashiach is a fundamental element in reward and punishment. And since reward and punishment is essential, you have to believe in it. His second explanation is, because all of Torah speaks about it. And therefore, if you don't believe it, you're really denying the Torah. And the Ikrim comes about, and, 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 or uh, the Ikrim actually doesn't address this, but the Chassam Sofer, in his Chuvis, when the Chassam Sofer was a great, great Hungarian rabbi living uh, about 200 years ago. And the Chassam Sofer, again, takes issue with this explanation, and he says, I don't understand this. He says, of course, everybody agrees that you have to believe in Torah, and if a person outrightly denies Torah, then they're a heretic. But that's because you're denying Torah, not because of, the, of, the, of this particular thing. Or if you're denying what a Navi says. When a Navi tells you something's going to happen, and you don't believe in the Navi, that's called not believing in a Navi. And believing in prophecy, to believe a prophecy and believing in prophecy is one of the foundations. So what happens if a Navi comes and he says that tomorrow it's going to rain? So if a person, and we know he's, an, he's a true Navi, this person has proven himself as a Navi and is accepted by the Jewish people that this is a prophet. And the pro- prophet says that next week, Tuesday, it's going to rain. And we're looking at, we're listening to the weather Navi, as they call him, to the weather, the thing, and there's absolutely no rain on the horizon. And the Navi said, however, it's going to rain on Tuesday. So if someone doesn't believe it, so then that person is denying the prophet. So there's a problem in his, in his belief. He doesn't believe in the prophet. But it's not because rain coming on Tuesday is essential to Judaism. There's no essential element in happening to rain on Tuesday that makes that that's important to Judaism. Judaism can be perfectly fine without it raining on Tuesday. It happens to be that the prophet told us that God communicated with him that it's going to rain on Tuesday. So I have to believe that it's going to rain on Tuesday because a prophet says so. And believing in a prophet is something that is essential to Judaism because God communicated through prophets, through a true and real prophet. But there's no essential importance to the fact that it's going to rain on Tuesday. The fact that Hashem has told us that what? That one of, one of the great things that are going to happen, and He told it to us a thousand times, through many different prophets, that Mashiach is going to come, still does not make Mashiach an essential principle in, 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 in Judaism. And the Hassam Sofer also remains with the question. He doesn't understand Rambam. So it's amazing. It's amazing how the greatest sages in the Jewish people had a problem with this belief of Mashiach and trying to, and not being able to kind of get what Rambam was saying, why this is so essential. And I think until the Lubavitcher Rebbe came around and clarifies, and once you see the Rebbe's explanation, it's like so obvious. It's like, what happened? How did everybody miss it? Because the Rebbe learns, sees the coming of Mashiach from a whole different light. 
And, and then you understand, of course, of course this is a foundation in Judaism. As the Rebbe sees it, it's as follows. The reason why belief in Mashiach is at the cornerstone of Judaism is because the, believing in Mashiach is essentially believing in the eternity of three things, which are really all one. The eternity of the Jewish people, the Nitzchias, the eternity of the Jewish people, the eternity of Malchus Beis David of the Davidic kingdom, and the eter eternity of the Torah and Mitzvahs. In other words, if we believe that Torah and Mitzvahs are eternal and forever, then the Mashiach must come. If we believe in the eternity of Malchus Beis David of the King Davidic kingdom, of course Mashiach has to come. The eternity of the Jewish people also requires the coming of Mashiach, as we're going to see soon. And the core belief that Judaism is forever, Torah and Mitzvah is forever, and God's empire in this world is a very real thing, here to be in this world forever and ever, that's fundamental to Judaism. Take that away, and you have a Yiddishkeit that doesn't have anything, because that's, when something is eternal, means it's true. The truth of something, truth doesn't change. Things that are, that are, that are, that are uh, changing, the, the, right? things that are not real change. Whatever is real doesn't change. So the fact that Judaism is, is, is forever and eternal is testi testifies to its truth, to its, rea to its reality. And therefore, take away the truth and the reality of Yiddishkeit, you have nothing. So now let's take a look at it. What does this mean, the eternity of the Jewish people? There is a Gemara Mesechtes Horeus. There is a, it's, I mean, we know this. We know this without even needing a Gemara to tell it to us. We just know it in our, in our gut. We know it in our very inner, inner being that, that we are here forever. Okay? That, that the Jewish people are here forever. But it's actually a statement in Torah as well. It's a halacha. It says, Ein Tzibur Mesim. You can have the individual death of individual people, but the tzibur, the community, will never die. Referring to the community of Israel. Ain't tzibur mason. There's no such a thing as the death and the annihilation. Well, our enemies tried to do that. Hitler tried to do that, and others thought that there could be a possibility of the annihilation of the Jewish people. But because this is absolutely so essential and so, so essential to everything, that is the reason why it's be, it, it has been challenged. And that's the reason why the, from time to time there's another Haman, there's another Haman that comes to the world that tries to disprove the eternity of the Jewish people because the eternity of the Jewish people test, is testifying to the eternity of God and to the truth of God. And that's why the, the, those who, who, who want to eradicate Israel from the face of the earth are really, as we, we learn, is, is, really, is really a war against God and trying to eradicate Hashem from the world. But, so it says, fine. Rambam tells us this in a few places, the importance of the belief and the understanding that the Jewish people are here forever. And, and I want to add one more thing. When we say the Jewish people are here forever, what does that mean Jewish people are here forever? Not just as a species in this world. There are people, Jews in this world, a people. It means as God's people. That's meaning. The Jewish people are what? They're a nation chosen by God to be a unique people, to be his people in this world. 
That we call the covenant. The covenant that Hashem made with, with Israel, with the Jewish people. That they are His people. They are His subjects and His people. And He's their king is a covenant that is unbreakable. It is an absolute covenant forever and ever for all of eternity. And so when we're saying that, that the eternity of the Jewish people, the eternity of the covenant, of the bond between God and Israel, that is forever and ever. So um, the Rambam tells this in a very clearly a beautiful Beautiful description. I mean, obviously, in, in, in latter Jewish writings, a lot of it. I always like to go back to Maimonides. In Rambam in Igeris Taman, in his letter that he writes to the Yemenite Jews, that the, the Yemenite, the Jews in Yemen were suffering horrific persecutions from their Muslim neighbors. And uh, it was getting very, very, very difficult for them to maintain their faith and their belief. And the nations around them were teasing them and telling them again and again that God has abandoned you. Everybody in the world knows and knew that, God, that the Jewish people were God's people. That was a given. But what the Christians and the Muslims were telling the Jewish people and taunting them throughout history is that because of whatever, whatever, we didn't accept so and so, God has rejected the Jewish people and we're not his people anymore. We're... Right? So on this, Rambam says like this. I'm quoting to you from his Geris Teiman. He says, Hashem had promised Yaakov Avinu all of Even though the nations will, will oppress his children, and they will inflict them. The Yigbru Aleyam, and they will prevail over them. The Romans came down, burnt down the temple, massacred millions of Jews, and so with, again and again. Hein Yishaaru Viyamdu, they will remain and stand. Behem, and those, you see what Mark Twain wrote. When was he in Mark Twain? In the 1800s or 1900s? What was Mark, Mark Twain? 18. So what, what Mark Twain wrote, in hindsight, how, how mysterious the Jewish people are. What an unbelievable mystery they are. How all these other major empires came and went, were strong and powerful, but they're gone. And the broken Jew, who's persecuted by everybody, everybody's out to get him, is still around, hasn't moved. Right? So, but Rambam is saying this in the middle of the exile, still a nice couple of a hundred years of horrific persecution. And Rambam says that Hashem told Yaakov Avinu that the Hamishtabdin Bahem, those who are going to enslave them, Yachlifu Viyoyvedu, they will be exchanged and they will be lost. And there's no remnant of them. Kamoshanemer, as it says, Rambam is an interesting connection. He says, Your children will be like the dust of the earth. The dust. Everybody tramples on the dust. But in the end, who gets the last laugh? The dust, because the person ends up six feet under and the dust is on top of it. So the Rambam says, that's the meaning of People might trample you, might persecute you. But in the end, you can outlive them all. Okay. 
And then Rambam continues like this. The Bore Hashem has promised us through our prophets. We will never be lost. And he will not may do with us a complete um, um, extermination, God forbid. Here he says, Chasida. We will never cease to be an important people. Amazing, amazing, an important people. What has been going on the last three weeks in the United States? Dominating the news. What, what, what was that? Charlesville. Charlesville. And, and what was it all about? The Jews. And the whole debate is, are the people in the extreme right hate the Jews more than the people in the extreme left? Who are, and that's what's going on. And the crazy thing is, that's what's going on all the time. That little, little, little tiny piece that you can't even see called the, the state of Israel, the land of Israel, is non-stop. And people wouldn't even believe that all there is a few million people. The Jewish people will not cease to be an Ummah Hashuva. And, 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 and here's what the Ramam says, very strong words. Again, these are words of Ramanides. The, the idea that the Jewish people could be, God forbid, removed from the world, or the Jewish nation can end, is so ridiculous, it is so impossible, just with the same impossibility, I have to read, hear these words, with the same I- impossibility for God to cease to exist. Okay, just like God can't end, the Jewish people can't end. These are the words. Just like it's not possible for the existence of God to cease, to end. So it's impossible for Israel to be removed from the world. This is a pasuk, he brings a pasuk in Malachi. I, God, have not changed. And you, the children of Jacob, the children of Yaakov, haven't either. Just like I have not changed, I am forever, you too are here forever. And then he adds also, and Hashem has also promised us another thing. Not only that we will, not, we will last forever, but Hashem has also promised us that He will never completely reject us, even if we sin, and even if we do all, all kinds of things that maybe... Are not uh, are, we shouldn't be doing? God will never ever reject the Jewish people completely, like the famous pasuk, the Afkam Zois be Eretz Even when they're going to be in the land of their enemies, Loima Astim, I will not rejected them. I haven't been disgusted by them. to completely exterminate them. Itam to nullify my covenant with them. Because I am God, your God, forever and ever and ever. That's a statement by Maimonides. Okay? Now, another interesting place where Maimonides also speaks about that is in the Guide for the Perplexed, in his Mur and Nebuchim. The Ramam is talking about a Pasuk in, in Isaiah, in, Sa- in Sefer Yeshaya, where it says over there that the Pasuk says, just like he eretz hachadoshim, just like the new heaven and the new earth that that I am making, so will they will stand your children, your descendants, and your name. 
And over there, the Rambam gives, and over there, Rambam gives a very interesting, Rambam over there points out a very interesting idea about the eternity and the, 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 of the Jewish people. He says there are nations, and which we think most of the nations, that their actual genes of the people are still alive. There are people today who are grandchildren of the ancient Persians. There are people today who are grandchildren from the ancient Greeks or the ancient Romans. But even though they're grandchildren, so they have their, their existence still remains, but they're not identifiable anymore as a people, as a Roman nation, as a Greek people, as the Persian Empire. Even though they're technically grandchildren of them, but they don't have that distinguished, that distinct identity. He says, by the Jewish people, God promises us your descendants, that means there will always be, literally, like Hitler tried to erase, every trace of the Jewish, of, 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 of Jewish blood, even from people who weren't, didn't want to identify as Jews. So God promises, no, no, these people will always be, but not only that, Shimchem, their name, their name as a people, a Jewish people will always be present in the world as a people. And that is, this is the biggest miracle. If anything in the world testifies to God's truth, it's, it's the, 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 the permanence and, the, and the, the eternity of Israel and the Jewish people. Now, that, that Indian of Nitzchius of the Jewish people is connected to the Nitzchius, to the eternity of the kingdom to Malchus based David. Because in regards to the kingdom of the, 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 the Davidic kingdom and dynasty of David, we also find in the Torah that there are explicit promises that this is something that's going to last forever. In right away, in, when Yaakov is blessing his children, he says, Lo Yasir, Shevet, Yehuda. The ruling power will never be depart from Yehuda. Um, at Kiyavoy Shiloh, until Shiloh will come. That means that Yehuda, which is the fourth tribe of, which is the great-great-great-grandfather of King David, they will hold the governing power throughout all of history until Mashiach comes, Shiloh, and continuing on forever and ever. There is also when Nasan Hanavi, when Nasan the prophet came to David HaMelech, he told him, "Vahakimoisi azaracha achrecha, I am God." This is in Shmuel Beis, Perek Zion, Pasuk Yud Beis and Yud Gimel. It says, "Vahakimoisi azaracha achrecha, I'm going to establish. I'm going to put a, your children after you. Vahakinoisi as kisoi mamlachtoi, and I have established his royal throne ad olam forever and ever." David Amelech himself says this. Also in Divrei Hayamim, Perik Chavches, it says, Vayifchar Hashem Elokei Yisrael, Be, Hashem has chosen me, King David says, Mikol Beis Avi, from all my fathers, all my brothers, from all my father, from my family, Liyos Lamelech Al Yisrael, to be a king on the Jewish people, Laolam forever. Ki Yehuda Bacher Lenagid, because Hashem chose Yehuda to be the, the Lenagid means a, 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 uh, Nugget means like a special one. Ubebeis Yehuda, and from the family of Yehuda, be Ratza, me God wanted. David HaMelech says, Hashem wanted me, Lahamlech Yisrael, to be a king over all of the Jewish people. 
Umikol bonai, and from all my children, vayifchar b'shloimabimi. God again is choosing. He selects and he chooses and he makes a very clear choice. He wants shloimah melech, and then he continues vachinoisi es malchusoi ad olam, and I prepare this kingship, his kingdom forever. Now, why is that so important? I mean, what we're saying right now is that the two are related. They're not stam. We're not, there's a choice in the Jewish people, and the Jewish people are eternal people from Farshem, and there's also a choice in the kingdom of, the, of David. And that the two are connected to each other. They're not just two random things. And the idea is as follows. You see, in order for the people to be a people, I mentioned this last week, when we spoke about the uniqueness of a king. So why we need a human king? And the idea is like this. In order for a people to be a people, and not to be just a bunch of individuals, each one doing their own thing, and have a very vague connection to each other because they live in one land, a land doesn't do it. Just because people are living in one country doesn't make them into one people. The biggest, the biggest example is you try to create the melting pot of the United States, where people are married, but yet you see how much, how much, how much the, um, the, um, the vision there is, and how, People who are living in complete different, with complete different ideologies are living in one country and they're not really feeling that much the connection. And you can see that it's breaking and it's cracking. This country is the serious divide that's happening. So it lasted for 200 years, but we're kind of worried. What's going to be with the United States? It almost seems like it's going to be break up into two different uh, people. I mean, we're going to see, we believe the coming of Mashiach is happening any moment. But this is what it looks like it's going, at least in two fractions, even more. A people to be a people requires a true leader. Tried is a true leader. The leader is what unifies the people and brings them together and turns the people into an am. Rambam uses those terms. Rambam says that the melech is someone who yekabates ima seinu. He gathers our ima. Our ima means our people together to become unified. We find that historically as well. When Moshe Rabbeinu was the king, of, when the Jewish people had a leader, Moshe and Yahushua, they were one people. And to the point when there was, God forbid, it looked to Moshe Rabbeinu that there was going to be a little bit of a fissure, a little bit of a breakaway, where two tribes wanted to have their own thing going on the other side of Eretz Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu admonishes them, and Moshe Rabbeinu rebukes them very harshly, and Moshe says, your brothers are going to go to war? And you're going to sit back over here and you're going to do your own thing? Aren't we one people? And then they promised that they're going to go along. They're part of the army. And they went along. And then, okay, then he gave them the land on the other side. After the death of Yeshua, we started seeing already this unity and this oneness started giving away to tribalism. The tribes in, in the Sefer Shoftim, you can see how the sh- tribes begin to emerge as independent individual tribes. And even when they connect to each other and they have some kind of a, kind of they're covering each other's backs, it's because I will do it for you, so you will do it for me. There isn't an essential oneness. It says that Yehuda says to Shimon, I think that's what it was. Um, Yehuda says to Shimon, um, you come with me to fight my battle. The Nilchom of Biknani, we're going to fight with Kanani, and therefore when you're going to have to fight your enemies, the Yilach Digamani Itoch Bigayralach, I'm going to go with you in your Goro. So you mean that even when we are actually doing something together, it's, there's an alter, there is, I'm doing for you, you will do for me. 
It's not an essential feeling of commodity, of, 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 of a true oneness between them that they really feel as one. You also find by the war of Devorah and Sisra, when Devorah and Avinor went, so Zvulin went out and put their lives on the line, and the, 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 the Devorah is telling how Shever Ruvein didn't care. And they were, Lama Yashafta Bein Amish and the Shever Ruvein remained back uh, with, their, with, their, with, their, uh, with their flocks of sheep, and they did not join the military campaign. And this is the way it was, until when? Until we got a king. Shol HaMelech became king, and then David HaMelech became king, and Shlom HaMelech, this unified the nation and turned the people into one people, one indivisible people. Then after David HaMelech, Shlom HaMelech died, and again there became two kings of the Jewish people, what happened? It became split, it became like two nations. It became like two nations. So we actually need a melech, we need a king to unify, to bring the people as to being an am. So what did we say earlier? When the Jewish people will survive as a people and the Jewish people are an eternal people of God, it means a people. It doesn't, it doesn't mean individuals that are descendants that carry Avram Avinu's, uh, Abraham's, uh, Abraham's DNA. We're talking about a people as a distinguished people. That requires a melech. That requires a king. And even though God is our unifying factor, God is our king, but as we spoke in the earlier class, God is our king, but God is abstract, meaning his malchus as a king is not fully, re in, in, it's not fully actualized in a tangible way unless we have a person that represents that kingship for us to be able to, so for it to fully be realized, it requires a melech. So for that reason, we can understand how the eternity of the Jewish people requires also an eternal king. You can't just have a, a, a Jewish people that are eternal without a king, because then you don't have a people. It goes hand in hand. With a nation, with a people, requires a king. And more, what did we say earlier? It's not just a people, but a people that are in a covenant with God. A people who are God's people. And, what did we, and again, the glue, the glue that connects the people to God the actual connector of the people to the king is who? Is, is the king. Is the human king. So for two reasons you need this melech. Number one, without the melech you can have a people, but you don't have God as the king over this people. So you need to have, the whole point of it is it should be a nation that through, through the nation God is king requires a king. I'm sorry, requires a human king to kind of be the connector and actualize it. And in addition to that, in order for the people to be a people, and have one, in many places it compares a king to the heart. The limbs of the body are all independent. Every limb has its own function. Every limb has its own. What unifies all the limbs of the body to become one entity? It's the heart because the heart pumps the, the life juice equally to all the limbs. See, the brain is different. The brain controls the individual function of all the particular limbs. It's a singular unit, but it's promoting the individuality of each one. The heart is what just pumps life, equal life, and therefore is the unifier of all the limbs of the body to become one, one entity unified together. The king is the pump, is the heart of the people. That's why the Rebbe says an interesting thing. Parshas Chayisara, in Parshas Chayisara, there is the Haftorah of the Parshas Chayisara is the Haftorah of of um, Shlomo HaMelech 
the mother of Shlomo Melech coming to intercede when um, um, the uh, the uh, other son of David Melech uh, was proclaimed. Uh, what was his name? Um, Rech- uh, it wasn't Avshalom. It was Rechavim, I think. Not Rechavim. Rechavim Shlomo Melech's son. Who's the king that uh, was self-appointed king uh, in the in the in the uh, at, to take over from David Melech? I forgot right now. I don't remember. What? Adenoyo. What? Adenoyo. Yeah. So he, when he was when he was appointed as king, so Batsheva comes and to plead the case in front of, and over there in that haftorah. So the Rebbe says, why is this the haftorah on Parshas Chayesar? So he makes a very interesting. He does a very interesting parallel, and he says like this: um, the, the 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 idea of the haftorah is the nitzchi is the continuation, the continuity of Malchus Beis David. The David Amelech's kingdom will continue on to. The David Amelech's kingdom will continue into the next generation. Who's going to sit on the throne of David? Which is really, in truth, the Nitzchias, because the eternity of, of David's kingdom. That David's kingdom is going to last th- further and further throughout all the generations. Now, that idea that why is it that King's, David's kingdom will last throughout all the generations? It's related to the fact that Hashem has chosen David Amelech. The Abishter has chosen David Melech to be Melech Yisrael. And because there is a Bechira, and in God's Bechira, the king, we're going to get to that in a few minutes, explain this a little better. But in God's Bechira, in Hashem's choice, what He chooses essentially, there can't be any, 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 any change. Similar to the idea, this idea that, it, in other words, the reason why Sh- Shlomo Melech is going to, Shlomo Melech. And there is going to be a continuity to David Amelech's kingdom is related to the idea of God's choice, which is actually the same reason. This is actually the same reason why the continuity of the Jewish people. Because the continuity of the Jewish people is also based on what? The fact that God, Asher Bochar Ba'avra, we say it in Davening. We say, Ato Hashem, Asher Bochar Ba'avra. Because Hashem chose an Avram Avinu, that choice does not allow, that choice does not allow chas v'shalem, there should be any interruption. So now, so you see the similarity. So the, see, again, at first, the two are running a parallel thing. The reason why the, the Jewish people will be forever, because Hashem chose. And something that God makes a choice is an absolute choice, and it's an infinite, everlasting choice. His choice that the that and, and therefore by, by David Amelech also Hashem had chosen David Amelech to be a king, and therefore it lasts forever. And that's the reason why Bechira. That's the reason why the two of them are. That's why this is the Haftorah of Parshas Chayesara. Because what's the story of Parshas? What do we have in Parshas Chayesara? What's the theme of Parshas Chayesara? We're Avram and Yitzchak, Avram and Yitzchak, Avram and Sarah da- pass away, and Yitzchak takes over, and that's why Yitzchak has to find a wife for Yitzchak so there can be a next generation. So actually, the continuity of Avram. So just like the parsha talks about the continuity of Avram and the continuity of the Jewish people as an absolute people that will never be erased from the world is because God has chosen. The same is also the continuity of the kingdom of David is also a malchus that can never be exchanged because of what. Because Hashem has chosen. That's the first thought the Rebbe says. 
But then the Rebbe takes it much deeper. According to this, these two are eternal for the same reason. That's the reason why both of them, why this is a half Torah for this Parsha, because they both express the same thing, that in God's choice there can't be a change, and therefore it has to continue forever and ever. But then the Rebbe says the point that we were saying now, which is much deeper. The Rebbe says like this, this is Gavaldi. He says the reason why there is, the, the truth is the actual, it's, it's not two separate choices. The choice that the Abishter chose Avram Avinu to be his people, it was a choice that there should be a people. In order for them to be a people, they need to. So inherently, there has to be a choice in the king. Because without a king, you don't have a people. Until we don't have a melech amongst the Jewish people, the Jewish people are a bunch of fragmented individuals or a cluster of individuals that are hanging out together, but they're not a people. For them to be a people, they need to have a heart that unifies them. And the heart is the king. So therefore, the choice of Malchus based choosing David HaMelech and choosing him as the eternal king of the Jewish people is actually finalizing, you hear this? It's finalizing the choice that Hashem makes with Avram. We know that Avram is going to be the, the father of the Jewish people, a people that belong to God, that are his nation. It requires a king. So both these things are unified together. Which brings us to the third the third piece of the third element over here, and that is what Rambam tells us that just like Israel is forever and the kingdom of David is forever, there's one more thing that is forever, and that is the Torah and the mitzvahs. The Torah and the mitzvahs as well are here the last forever. I want to read to you. Rambam says, Perek Tess in the laws of the Yisodeh Torah. Rambam says, Dover, Baruch, Mefurish, B'Torah, it's clear. Is in the laws of the, of the foundations of the Torah in the ninth chapter, the first halacha. Rambam says it is clear, stated in the Torah, that the Torah is watching him mitzvah oimedes lo'ad. The Torah and mitzvahs are here forever. olamim, and they're here forever and ever. There will never be a change in the Torah. There will never be a subtraction in the Torah. In other words, the Torah will never become less, less commandments or the like. There will never come a time when we will add more mitzvahs to the 613. These are the mitzvahs, 613 and no more. Shanamar and Ramah brings a verse that everything that I commanded you, you can't add, you can't diminish. This is the way it is. Ramam states clearly, Torah and mitzvahs are forever and ever. Ramam says the same thing in the laws of kings, in Hilchus Moshiach. Ramam says over there also another thing here, just give me a second. Hatoira um, Hazois, this Torah. Her statues and her laws, forever, forever and ever and ever. And you can't add, you can't take. And anybody that adds or subtracts from the Torah or tries to take a mitzvah and translate it to mean some kind, something else, not the actual, the way we have, not the way we have, um, not the way we are have a tradition of, from, from the Torah Shabbat Peh of how the Torah needs to be read. This person is a Russia, is a wicked person, and Apikoris is a, is a heretic. Fine. Okay? So we have clearly Rambam in a few places telling it, and it's actually one of the Animamans. The ninth one of the, of the 13 fundamental, fundamental principles of faith is to believe that the Torah is eternal and the Torah is unchanging. Good. So we have a Torah that's also forever. Now the question is, the Torah being forever, does it have anything to do with the Jewish people being forever? 
Or is it a separate thing? God has a choice. He chose the Torah and the mitzvahs and they're forever. Absolutely not. What is the Torah? The Torah is the means through which God and actualizes his relationship with the Jewish people. The Torah is the, the bond, the covenant. The covenant that we have with God is through the Torah. Hypothetically, it's not possible for us to have an eternal Torah without the, without. If the Jewish people can possibly end, then there's no basis for having an eternal Torah. If, if, the, if we would not have the eternal, eternity of Israel, there's absolutely no point of having an eternal Torah. Why? Because it's clear, because the Torah, it, Rambam says somewhere else, that the Abishter God gave the Torah exclusively for the Israel, for the Jewish people. He gave us, he commanded the Jewish people also to share the seven Noahide laws with the rest of humanity. But the Torah itself was given, Moshe, the words of the Rambam over there is, Moshe Yisrael, only to the Jewish people. Once you take away the Jewish people, God forbid, from the world, and there's no more Jews left, then there's no point of having a Torah that's forever. What mitzvahs? What, what, what is the Torah? Torah is commandments that, that we should do, but there's no one to do it because it's impossible that one day it's going to be given to the Chinese or one day it's going to be given to another group of people. That cannot be. It was given to the Jewish people. So therefore, the, the eternity of, to, of Torah and mitzvahs is connected to the eternity of the Jewish people. And the opposite is also true. You can't have a Jewish people living eternal, eternally in this world without a Torah and a mitzvah. Because what makes us a people is our bond to God through Torah and mitzvah. It's not the land. There's the Zionistic idea of having, dropping Judaism, dropping observance, and just having a land like all other nations, that's not what makes us into a people. And that doesn't guarantee, guarantee eternity at all. What makes the Jewish people a, a, a God's people is that we're bound up with God through keeping his mitzvahs. We are Torah Jews. We are mitzvah Jews. And that's why you find within the Jewish people itself that only the, 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 the people who kept, that were observant in Torah and mitzvahs lasted and are still here today. All the other fractions of Israel hung around for a while, but then they disappeared. They're not here anymore. Because what, what, what is our lasting ke, ke, eternity is our bond to Hashem through the Torah and the mitzvahs. And we need who for that? And what do we need for that? In order to take the Jewish people, have them be subservient to God, and unified in this work of Torah and mitzvahs, we need the third component. We need a king. So you have three eternities that are all wrapped together. The eternity of Israel, the eternity of the, the Davidic kingdom, and the eternity of the of, of, of Torah mitzvahs. And as we're going to see soon, that's why Mashiach, belief in Mashiach is fundamental, because without Mashiach, all these three things collapse. There is no eternity to any of the above, and therefore there's no purpose in creation, and therefore we have no business being alive and we have no business being in this world. So basically, why is it a foundation? Because it's the foundation of everything. Without this, you have nothing. But let's understand a little bit deeper. Why are these three things non-changing? What's the secret of this eternity? What is the root of this, of this, of this, um, of this absoluteness? And so in Hasidus it explains, and the Rebbe talks about this in Asicha and Parsha Shoftim, 
this week's Parsha. Parsha Shoftim, Chelech Lamedalim, and Makuti Sichas, volume 34. The third Sikh on Parsha Shoftim, the Rebbe talks about the uniqueness of the, of, to explain the idea that Torah and Mitzvah doesn't change. And it explains, in general, let's, we, we, the, 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 not everything coming from God is unchanging. Not everything coming from God is unchanging. God created a world, and the world can, create, can change. Planets can come and go. Stars can be here and then disappear. Not necessarily that anything that God created has to last forever. God created humans. People die. So it's not necessarily... And more than that, even a promise, even when Hashem promises something, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be. Like we find that God may... Rambam says openly when God tells a prophet, uh, communicates to a prophet, that something is going to happen. God gives his word. Something is going to happen, but it's a negative thing. Rambam says um, it doesn't have to happen. It's possible. You can't... What happens if, let's say, a Navi goes and a prophet goes and predicts a bad thing was going to happen. He says that person is going to die. And then, you know, he says, you know, it won't take more than... By three months, that person will be dead. Three months come and go, and the person is alive. So one might come and say, okay, the prophet has proven to be a false prophet. So Rambam says that that's not true. And the reason is because it's possible that God changed his mind. It's possible that God changed his mind. The person initially, he told him he's going to die, and God pulled back on him. Why? Because could be the person did shuva. For whatever reason it was that the person was meant to die, they, God was bringing about this punishment of death as a result of some kind of a misbehavior. Now that the person changed their ways and they did tshuva, then they don't die. So fine. Now, even when there is a prophecy predicting something good, but that is only when the prophet is predicting something bad, a calamity. What happens if the prophet is predicting something good? Not a calamity, not a bad thing, good thing. All right? That someone is going to win the lottery. And it's a big lottery now, right? So if the prophet says that someone is going to win the lottery, and then, so Ramam says, then it has to happen that it's going to be. It's impossible. And if it comes about that the person didn't win the lottery, when the prophet says, you can actually prove that the prophet is not a prophet. Because if you predicted something good, it must happen. For bad, it doesn't have to. But for good, it has to happen. Oh, so you see that even a prophet, when he makes a prediction, it's... It's unchanging, at least in the positive. But really, in truth, if, it, if we look a little deeper into it, it's not because it's essentially something that cannot change. God could change his mind, even when it comes to a good notification. He could change his mind, just he's not going to do it. Even though he changes his mind and he doesn't want to do it, so to speak, hypothetically, Yet he will, still, he will still do it. Why? Because once he told the prophet and he made it public, it has to be that way. Because if not, you're not going to have a way to disprove the prophet or to prove a prophet. This is what the Ram, the, the Ram, one of the great uh, Rishonim, explains in this halacha. The Ram makes a very, very important distinction. Rebbein Onisim. Very important distinction. He says, you understand... When a prophet makes a, pro a prediction for good or for bad, in essence, it's the same. There is no reason why a good prophecy must materialize and a punishing prophecy, a harsh prophecy, 
is less likely to happen. There's no essential reason. Both of them are prophecies. Both of them are predictions coming from a singular God. And God should essentially keep both of them. And if for whatever reason there's a reason to change it, he should, he should be able to change his mind and nullify and, 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 and go back and retract on his, on his prophecy. Ran says the reason why a prophecy for good must materialize is because if not, then you have no way to, 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 to test the prophet. Now at least God has left us a way to test the prophet. How do you test the prophet? If he prophesies something good is going to happen and that thing didn't happen, so then you can see that the person is not a true prophet because he prophesied and it didn't happen. So you, that, so, and God left it. Now therefore, when he, therefore, God made that when you're prophesizing something good, it must happen. So what do you see from here? Essentially, but hear, hear well, essentially both prophecies are changeable. It's only because of an external reason that God will not change a, 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 a positive prophecy. Now just like it is in regards to um, prophecies, the same is also in regards to a commandment of a Navi. When a Navi comes and tells us to do something, he'll be talking about a prophecy, an event that's going to happen. When a Navi comes and tells us to do something, a mitzvah, a Navi can come and give us a mitzvah. Leo, a Navi said that at a certain time we should bring karbonos on a certain mountain that was not based on English. So when a Navi comes and gives us a commandment what needs to do, essentially the commandment is, could change. Today, today the Navi says this is the way it should be. Then it can come back tomorrow and says, okay, this was supposed to be done for two days. Now we should stop doing it. It's not something that has to be forever, just like his predictions don't have to be forever. Don't have to be. And the reason is, so Hasidus is, but, but, but Torah is not that way. Torah and mitzvahs are not that way. By Torah and mitzvahs we say that when God commands us a mitzvah, it's not possible that this will ever change. This mitzvah will always in, be the will of God forever and ever and ever. And therefore, it is, so, it is so absolutely refuted when a prophet will come, no matter who he is, and he will tell us from now on, no more shofar. Or from now on, no more sukkah. Or from now on, instead of a, a, um, a esro, we're going to take kiwi. If a navi comes and he says that, the, 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 it's absolutely rejected, the Jewish people. Why? Because mitzvahs we know are forever and cannot change. And the reason for that is, so Hasidus, the Rebbe says an interesting idea. The reason is because we have to distinguish between two types of ratzon, two types of will. There is will which, in which you want something because of circumstance. You want something because conditions are calling for, for something to happen, therefore you want something to happen. Okay, if it's raining outside, I want an umbrella. Do I essentially desire from the deepest essence of my being to walk around with an umbrella? It's raining outside, I don't want to get wet, I need an umbrella, so I have them, give me an umbrella. How much do I want? It's pouring! Last week I was in New York, I caught in the rain like crazy. I want an umbrella so badly, but do I really want an umbrella? I want an umbrella now, because technically it's raining. So because of the circumstances, I need that right now. But then there are certain things that you want because you want. These are essential desires that you want this for no reason, nothing to do with circumstances. It's just because 
you want this. And actually, when you have such a desire, you create the circumstances to facilitate that want. But what you really want is the want. And that's the distinction between Torah and mitzvahs and all other desires that Hashem has. All other will that Hashem is communicating for Navis are circumstantial situations. God says this person has to die, not because there is an inherent desire in God's essence that that person has to die. God says that this person has to win the lottery. It's not because there's an inherent desire that this person has to win the lottery. What has to happen? It's the circumstances in the world call for because of this person's misbehavior. Now it's important that they should die. Because of this person's great virtue, and it's now a reward that this person should win the lottery. But these are things that are circumstantial. They're coming about because of external things. When God says, I want Shabbos, it's because Shabbos is core essential to who Hashem is. He wants Shabbos because Shabbos is Him. This is an essential desire that He wants. He wants Tzvillim because God, not because of any circumstances, not for the sake of the world, just because of something very deep in God that, that is about Shabbos and Tzvillim and about all the other mitzvahs. Why, this he, why these things He wants and these things He doesn't want. These are called a ratzon, a desire, she'enoi mishtana. These are things that cannot change. They, the etzem can't change. Essentially, they're not changeable. That's where the choice that God made in Jewish people. When God chose the Jewish people, he didn't choose them because of a, because of a circumstantial thing. That's why he chose to have Israel. It's not a circumstantial thing. It's an essential desire that he chose the Jewish people. When Hashem chose David HaMelech, He chose him because so He chose, because so He wants. There is no reason at all why David HaMelech. So God wants. It's not based on a, on, a, on a desire because of a certain reason. And the same is also Hashem's choice in, in Torah and Mitzvahs. These are, it is an essential choice. And all things that are of essence cannot change, as Rambam says, just like God can't change, the Jewish people can't change, these things can change because they are as true as, as God is himself. And that's the true, deep, inner reason why Torah and mitzvahs Israel and the Jewish people because we're rooted in the essential desire of God, the desire that is not influenced by any external circumstances. Therefore, it doesn't make a difference how many times whatever is going to happen in the world, there will never be a change in Hashem's desire that you should wear tefillin. There will never ever be a change in Hashem's desire that Shabbos should be arresting day. There could be a, temp a temporary suspension that we do have. A Navi can come and tell you, one day, one Shabbos, now you have to be Machal Shabbos only for a temporary time. If we know, we have to listen. But that's an exception for now, but not that it has it is completely removed the essential desire because that is an absolute desire. And that has to be forever and ever. So now, um, so that's why, and, the, and it's in these three things. It's in the Jewish people, in the kingdom of David the Melech, and in the Torah of the Mitzvahs. Now let's take a look, if this is the case. If, so it comes out really at, at the core, 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 at the nucleus. Here, this is so gewaldic. At the nucleus of everything, of all of creation, all of existence, is a desire that Hashem wants to be a king over the Jewish people, actualizing that, king through a, actualizing that kingship through a family of kings, which is the family of David the Melech, and finally, and that desire is going to be realized through all the Jewish people learning Torah and doing his mitzvot. That's how this kingship of God through the Melech is actualized. And all the Jewish people performing all of his 613 mitzvot. 
That's what creation is all about. That's the re- creation serves no other purpose but that. Now, if that's the case, let's take a look how all these three things are doing currently. How are they doing currently? You see, when we came into the land of Israel with Moshe, Rabbi, with Yeshua, and eventually got a king, and we got the chosen king. First we had other king, but we got the ultimate king, King David. And we went and we built the base on Migdash. And, we, and, and, and there was actual Jewish practice by all the Jewish people doing all the mitzvahs. So all this that we had discussed about earlier, which is God's essential desire, was then fully realized, fully manifest in the observance of the Jewish people at that time in the land of Israel. But then, after that, things started crumbling. Things started coming down. It says that what, um, after David after HaMelech died, after Shlomo HaMelech died, the kingdom already split into two kingdoms. There wasn't anymore a unified kingdom of the Jewish people. And from gener- generation to generation, it only started getting worse and worse. And as the Pasuk says in Tehillim, that Hashem got upset. You got angry with your anointed one. You have desecrated to the earth his crown. God kind of like pushed away the Malchus of David. And as the Lashon of it says, The kingdom of David, the Davidic kingdom was nullified, came to an end. And the Jewish people were exiled from their land and we were scattered across the world. So what happens now? So even though, so what happens with the Jewish people? Where is this kingdom? Where is the people of God in the world? Where is the people of God in the world? Are we a people? We're we're individuals. There are some people over here. There are some people over there. Is it a unified people? And how about are these people connected to their king through the observance of Torah and mitzvahs? Not really. So many Jews are hardly identifying with their Judaism. So many Jews are assimilated. So many Jews have kind of become part of other, of, other, of other people, have lost their identity of who they are and their pride in being Jewish. And even though, in truth, you know, even during the time of exile, even during the time of exile, we know that there will always be a, there's always a secret king of Israel. There is always a king, because it says, the ruling power will never be diminished from Yehuda. So the sages tell us, the head of the exile in Bavel, there was a head, there was a Babylonian exile, a person, or the president of Eretz Yisrael, not the president, the modern term is president, but the Nasi, the head Nasi in Eretz Yisrael, are always from Shevet Yehuda. So there is some kind of a thin thread of Malchus Beit David that is still continuing but it is a very, very, very vague, very, very hardly noticed. It's not a powerful presence in the world. It's very weak. It's very, very, it's, it's, not, it's not what it's supposed to be, right? And um, you, you, can, you, can, you can technically also argue, I mean, Jewish people today's days are still dedicated to Torah mitzvahs. And Yidin are still keeping mitzvahs. Look, it's amazing. Take a look at, 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 at after thou, close to 2,000 years of exile, and Jews are still loyal to observance, to Torah mitzvahs. So that's very, very special. 
but that's not in a way that's visible for the entire world to see. A people that are openly unified, living in their land, observing the Torah, and, re- and, and serving their God and their Creator in this world in an open, powerful, with a king. We don't have that. And it's so, it's so, it has so, it's so broken down, meaning it's so weak, it's, that the nations in the world have always said to the Jewish people during the time of exile, Ayelakecha, where's your God? Where's your God? And the nations that we mentioned earlier have said to the Jewish people, you're no more God's people. So during the Gullahs, all of this is kind of, kind of, kind of has, 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 has completely fallen apart, has broken down. So what happens then? So here is, so we don't have this. We don't have the entire Indian of observance of Torah and mitzvahs manifesting in the world through the Jewish people in the land of Israel. It doesn't exist. So here is our Ramun in the coming of Moshiach. A day will come very, very soon. And when that day will come, a king will rise who the Jewish people will recognize this person as a king. They will gather around this individual and become his people. And then together they will go and build the, the holy temple in the land of Israel. He will gather the Jewish people from across the world, he will establish them all in Eretz Yisrael, and in his days, what does the Rambam say? Observance is going to return. All the Jewish people are going to keep the Torah and the mitzvahs. And how many mitzvahs are we going to do? All 613 and all the details. In the land of Israel, in the complete land of Israel, with all the Jewish people, with Eretz, with the Beis Hamikdash, with the Jewish king, Capturing God's kingship and everybody serving Hashem in that state. Oh, that is the return. That is the eternity of, of, of all of this. Without this, you don't have any, any, anything eternal. It has ended. Take Mashiach out of Judaism and everything that we spoke about before, Torah and mitzvahs, even though there are individuals who are still learning the Sechdus Baba Kama, and this one is still whatever, doing this, but you don't have an observance of 613. How many mitzvahs do we do today? Uh, I think uh, like 80-something mitzvahs are observed today. That, that's it. You don't have a national observance of Torah and mitzvahs of all the Jewish people. You don't have, you don't have God in his empire. Nothing. No Torah, no, no Israel. Israel as a, as, a, as, a, as a powerful people in this world, as God's subjects and Hashem's servants of the world, it's God. That is the foundation of this emuna, of this faith. That's why Rambam t- tells you that you don't, without the belief of Mashiach, you have no Yiddishkeit. Because everything, the, what's your Yiddishkeit? What's there? The whole idea of what Judaism all is, all, is all about is lacking. There's nothing there. So you're having your Yiddishkeit as your own personal connection with God, that you can be a big tzaddik and you can be a big Talmud Chacham. That's it. But you don't have the vision. You don't have the entire purpose. It's all gone. So for that, Rambam tells us that you need to have the Amunah in coming of Mashiach. Because Mashiach is going to bring all these three things back to their place. An eternal king, Malchus Beis David, an eternal Jewish people, eternal observance by all the Jewish people in the land of Israel, 
and that is going to happen. That is why I want to read to you another quote from Rambam. Rambam says in Igeris Ateman, in his letter to the Yemenite Jews, he says, these, hear these words. He says, But you, my brothers, strengthen your hearts, all those who hope to God. You each other, you should strengthen each other. Emuna, nitu emuna, plant the emuna, vehaminu belibois hakoil. Everybody, strengthen your emuna. That what? Bias goyel mehero yegale, the coming of Mashiach, the coming of the Redeemer, may he be speedily revealed. Chisku yodayim rafi, strengthen your weak hands, ubrikayim koishlois, and your weak knees or, or hips, imtsu. And here he says these words. This is what I wanted to get to. The dover ze, achenu, this, my brothers, Yesoid Godom, Yesoide Amunas Yisrael is a major foundation of the found, fundamental elements of, the, of, 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 of Jewish faith. Vahu, and I think this line is the most telling line. She'i Efshar, it's not possible. Sholoyamoid Mizera Shloimoy Ish, She'yekabitz Nefitzoseinu. It's not possible that it should not get up from the descendants of Shlomo HaMelech. A person that should gather us together. It's not, it's unthinkable. It cannot be. Why? Because, because we said before, and he will remove our shame. You realize it's a shameful thing that God's kingdom has been nullified from the world. This is God's kingdom. It's now in shambles. It doesn't exist. It's horrible. God is not a king in the world. And therefore, it's impossible that there isn't going to come one day a person who's going to restore the kingdom. is going to remove our shame, the Golaseno and our Golos. The Yigala Hadasa Amitis. And he's going to reveal the true faith. The Yashmin, and he's going to destroy anybody that's going to want to, that's going to, want to get in his way or going to try to uh, uh, stop or get or block this from happening. This is very powerful. This is the foundation of this amuna. It's the eternity. You see how the Rebbe has such clarity. Not the Hassam Sofer, not the Ikrim, not the Abarbanel. All of them looked at Mashiach as some kind of a reward, some kind of a promise, some kind of a something. It's part of the reward. And, it, and, and I mentioned earlier, you know. Especially according to Rambam, where Rambam learns that the reward of Mashiach is not even the ultimate reward. The Rambam learns that the, the reward of Mashiach is only a time in which we can prepare ourselves for Olam Haba. For the, so I don't understand. Believing in Olam Haba, the Rambam does not say, is, 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 is an essential principle in Judaism. There's no animamin, animamin ba Olam Haba. I have to believe in reward and punishment. So how can it be that the coming of Mashiach which is only a preparatory state for Olam Haba, according to Rama, is a, 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 a fundamental principle because of reward and punishment. That doesn't make any sense. But according to the way the Rebbe sees it, it it's so clear. It has nothing to do with reward and punishment. This has to do with the purpose of all of creation. What was God's agenda? What was God's plan? What is God's desire in creating the world? He wants a world where he is king. How is he king over a people? Where is this people? The Jewish people. And that kingship is, is through a person. And how is that, how is that 
actualized, where do we see God as king over us? By all of us observing Torah and mitzvahs. All that has to become reality in this world. It must come become reality. If it doesn't become reality, then the whole plan, all of creation was a total failure. That cannot be. So of course we have to believe in Mashiach. Take it even deeper than that. Which is really, really interesting is that <laughs> is it a mitzvah to believe in Mashiach? Is it a commandment that you have to believe in Mashiach? The Ramam doesn't count it as one of the mitzvahs. Why isn't it a mitzvah? Now it's interesting. The Sefer Smak, which is called Sefer Mitzvah's Katan. There's a Smak, Sefer Mitzvah's Gadol, the Smak, from the Rishonim. So he writes, when it says, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am God your God, I took you out of Egypt. He says that included in that commandment is to believe in God and that just like God took us out of Egypt, God is going to gather us from the exiles. A very, very astonishing thing. That believing in the Mashiach is part of Anochi Hashem That is like wondrous. Really, really an amazing statement. But again, this Rambam doesn't tell us anywhere that belief in Mashiach is a mitzvah, you have to believe. The Rebbe asked that question. And the Rebbe answers, because, you see, once we've established what we've established now, once, once we've established what we've established now, that the coming of Mashiach is the foundation of what all of Judaism stands on, we can understand why it's not a mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah because the, the Ramam says clearly that all mitzvahs that are very general, that are not requiring a specific act, can't be called a mitzvah. For example, when the Torah says, everything that I command you, you should listen. It's a Pasuk. Everything I command you, you should listen. So that's not counted as one of the mitzvahs. Why is it not counted as one of the mitzvahs? Because it's not a specific thing. It's a foundation where all so many other things are connected to. So the Rebbe says the coming of Mashiach is even a, the, the grand dose foundation. This is what makes all of Yiddishkeit real. This is what makes all of Judaism true and real to all of us, is the coming of Mashiach. But deeper than that, it's not only because this is a myth, and that's why, by the way, it says that's why in, when the Rambam says believing in Mashiach, he doesn't say you have to believe in his coming. He just says whoever doesn't believe in him is a kofir. See? The Rambam says, Misha Because you can't say it's a commandment to believe because there's no such mitzvah to believe. But one thing is for sure. You don't believe in this, you have no Yiddishkeit. So you're a denier in all of Yiddishkeit. You're a denier in the essence of Torah that Torah is supposed to be a reality in this world. That's what the person is denying. Okay, so what do you have? But one step even deeper than that. And that is that there are things that are commandments and there are things that are just facts and truths. And the facts and the truths can't be commandments. They just are, they, they precede commandment. <clears throat> what are commandments? Commandments are, you need to do so. You need to do this. You need to do that. And that is only possible after you have certain preliminary, preliminary um, acceptances in which you can base these commandments. It's not possible to have a mitzvah, a commandment, if you don't have what? You don't first believe in a God. And that the Torah is true. We don't count the 13 animamins in, in, as a mitzvah. All the other animamins. 
Because these are not things you need to do. You need to know this because without this, the whole thing doesn't start. You don't even, you're, not even at, you're not even at page one. There is a God. There is a God. There is the Torah and the mitzvahs. There is a God. There is Torah and mitzvahs. You have to believe in Moshe Rabbeinu. You have to believe the Torah comes from heaven. And now I can t- go to a mitzvah. So in the, same, in the same vein, I have to believe in Mashiach. Because if I don't believe in Mashiach, then all of this is fluff. All of this has no, no, no solid, no, it doesn't have any solid existence, doesn't have anything concrete in the reality of this world. But I know with absolute faith, and it's also very important personal, because if each and every one of us goes through certain times, certain challenges, in which the circumstances around us make it extremely difficult to observe mitzvahs, and you feel like the world is fighting you, how do you fight back? What's your strength? When you know you're on the winning team, when you know that victory is ours, when you know with absoluteness that one day the world will not negate the observance of Torah and mitzvahs because Torah and mitzvahs, the Jewish people, and holiness will triumph, then that gives you the strength today to, 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 to overcome any obstacle. Because I know that whatever it is that's fighting me is in the end going to dissolve. That's not true. This is very powerful. And that is based on a firm belief in the coming of Moshiach. To add one more Nekuda, which is very important, why it's also not just enough to believe in the coming of Moshiach, but we also need to await his coming. Not just to believe, but await his coming. And the answer is, if, if, if we're part of this project of making God a king over the world through his Torah and mitzvahs, and if I have absolutely no wish for it to happen. For example, a person says, I keep the Torah, I keep the mitzvahs, but I really, really hate being God's servant. I don't like being God's servant. I don't want to retreat this. But I have no choice. I'm terrified. I know after all he's the boss. And I'm terrified of God, so I'm going to keep his ex- examples because I'm afraid he's going to beat me up one day. And therefore, I'm keeping the Torah in the midst. But I hate this. I don't like being a Jew. I don't like God being my king and so forth. Is he Jewish? Yes, he's Jewish. Is he, is he, is he part of the Jewish experience, part of the Jewish program? No. Because the whole idea of being a Jew is you're part of a people that are God's people here to reveal God in the world through the Torah and the mitzvahs that we do. If I don't want Moshiach to come, I say I'm very happy the way things are and I'm not interested in Moshiach coming, what that essentially means is that I don't care about God's kingdom. I don't care about the real inner power, the inner idea of what all of Yiddishkeit is all about. It's all meaningless to me. So that's why Ramam says if I'm not awaiting his coming, which means I'm not excited about this, then, then what, what, what's my observance? Then the observance is so superficial. It is so external to the point that it's lacking any true substance and true value. And that is why it is essential, the belief and the hope. This is what it's all about. And that's why it's relevant. Without Moshiach, there is no, there's no purpose for, for creation. There's nothing. And our lives today, 
other than whatever we're doing now is preparing for Mashiach, but the way our life is today, with the world without a king, the world without Torah and mitzvahs, is a very, very, very pathetic world. A world without a soul, a world without a purpose. And that's why we're waiting, we hope, we await, and we're confident that it's happening, waiting every moment, maybe today, hopefully today. Let it be now, in which all of this is going to happen. And we merit to see it. Thank you.